This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh and I'm here today with Brandon Starnes, pastor of Susquehanna Valley Baptist Church. We want to thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the podcast. And we're going to be looking today at characteristics of a biblical missionary. Before we do so, let me remind you, season two, we have the giveaways coming up. And the deadline for entering into the drawing is May 1st. So put that on your calendar, May 1st. Make sure you enter. And how do you enter? Well, you go to our Facebook page. And that's at facebook.com forward slash rwmin. And you follow us, like us, message us your email address. We'll put you in the drawing. And we want to be able to have your name in there. Also, if you're not on Facebook or looking for another way to enter, go to our website svbcpa.org that's our church's website you can go to the contact section go down to the bottom Um, you put in your email address you put in a little message box you'd like to be entered in for the rw drawing the rejoicing in the word drawing and we'll know what you mean and we'll get your name in the drawing for may 1st so make sure you be uh, take part of that we have we're going to be putting out a post here pretty soon showing uh, what all we're giving away but it's slate coasters with the rejoicing the word uh, logo on them and then we have these fantastic devotionals and so i'm looking forward to pulling the pulling the cards out and seeing seeing who all wins them and uh, we would look forward to getting them out to you also make sure you check out the svbc blog uh, rejoicing in the word blog it's at svbcpa.org forward slash rw blog and pastor's wife takes a lot of time and puts effort into that, and I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you. And also remember, if you're going to share the direct link for the podcast with any of your friends, family, uh, or strangers, hey, it's svbcpa.org forward slash rwpod, and that has a link on there. It shows you all the different ways you can listen to the podcast, so make sure you take part in that. And as we're we're looking today at characteristics of a biblical missionary, what pastor, what does the Bible state that we need to be qualified as a biblical New Testament missionary. I mean, can anybody just go out and be a biblical New Testament yeah. missionary? Well, I think in one sense, uh, all of us are called to be, in one sense, preachers of the gospel, you know, to give the gospel to the ends of the world. And so in that sense, we are, but we're not speaking necessarily about uh, our role as individuals. We're talking more along the lines of, let's, for clarity's sake, call it the vocational missionary the one that is going to go over there, that's going to be responsible to see churches planted. And and really the clarification would be a New Testament type missionary. Right. Um, there are a lot of things that one could consider as we look through the New Testament uh, about what a New Testament missionary should embody. I um, found a quote some time ago by J. Hudson Taylor of China Inland Mission and he, he penned this, he said, there are three parts to the will of God, three stages to God's work, impossible, difficult, and done. Hmm. And I marvel at that because that really is such an eloquent way to express the truth. You know, and at once God has called someone and they have been commissioned and sent forth and they're going over there, everything seems impossible. Right. Uh, the work is gargantuous. The, the, the mountain is too tall, the, the valley's too deep, the terrain too rugged, and then, you know, you obey God and you go forward, and then that's where all the real fun starts, and it's just completely continual, difficult time that you'll go and 
Um, I think of what uh, Paul said, you know, in reference towards the end of his life in Second uh, Timothy 3. We've referenced this in several of the previous podcasts, particularly the ones with Brother Luke and Brother DeLong, I think, that are coming up. Uh, but he references often about difficulties, afflictions. Afflictions has that idea of of uh, anything from emotional to physical sufferings. And he just uses this word, and he said, endurance. These persecution afflictions I have endured. And there is really the great essence of what a missionary is going to have to do. He's going to have to have some good, old-fashioned, God-sustaining endurance because the work is impossible. The work at times is going to seem eternally difficult. And then all at once, kind of like Paul in Second Timothy chapter 4, your work is finished. Hmm. And so I, I think and keep in mind the reason to highlight these biblical New Testament qualifications is because the arduousness of the call that God has placed as it pertains to missions. Right. Yeah. Speaking of difficulty and uh, missionary, I found this. It's called the Chocolate Christian. And seeing as we're near Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania, yeah. we're only sweetest about... Sweetest place. Sweetest place on earth. Let me read this about the chocolate soldier. To the chocolate Christian, the very thought of war brings a violent attack of, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Well, the call to battle always finds him with the palsy. I really cannot move, he says. I only wish I could, but I can sing. And here are some of my favorite lines. I must be carried to the skies on a flowery bed of ease. Let others fight to win the prize or sail through bloody seas. Mark time, Christian heroes never go to war. Stop and mind the babies playing on the floor. Wash and dress and feed them 40 times a week till they're roly-poly puddings, so to speak. Round and round the nursery, let us ambulate sugar and spice. And all that's nice must be on our slate. Wow. Talk about chocolate, chocolate Christian. Christians. You know, speaking of chocolate Christians uh, and reading further in this, <laughs> they talked about the 10 spies being chocolate Christians who melted and ran all over the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and hey, spread the spread the ugh, the, the disease of discouragement, the disease of discouragement, and that is so true. Chocolate Christians, it's it's. I do not think you you sometimes hear missionaries and they'll talk about they're in a hard field, uh, and I I think that is something of a perception, um, field to field, and a comparison. But anytime you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it often does not find a large audience of ready receivers of said gospel. There'll be more doors shut in your face than doors that are open that says, wow, come on in. And uh, kind of like Philip of, of the book of Acts, uh, right. some man must teach me. You'll, you'll find more folks slamming a door in your face than will, hey, uh, just tell us how all this works and what must we do to be saved. And that's the same that you find in the life of Jesus Christ as well. Um, railed upon constantly, lied about. Uh, at times, even they were hunting for his own life. And of course, not to mention the fact that he, it, he would take himself to Calvary as the propitiation for humanity. Um, but the fact remains, missions has great difficulty to it. We are carrying the gospel of Christ and the adversaries are many. And so if we're going to be prepared, I think there are some characteristics, um, biblical characteristics that missionaries must have 
if they're going to endure some of these great times of difficulty. And one of the missionaries that we'll refer to, and there are several missionaries in scriptures, but it's of course the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul's life, you'll note many things about him, and I think there's a lot of overlay with how we engage in missions, yea, even at this time in our lives. I think perhaps one of the greatest needs, one of the greatest characteristics is in fact a specific call. There's a lot of calls in the New Testament. There are. We spent some time last year, I think it was, in Romans, and and that word call is significant because it's throughout the epistle of Romans. But, you know, in Romans chapter 1, he talks about that he was called to be an apostle. Right. That was a unique call. And not every individual that he would ever rub shoulders with was called to be an apostle. Yeah, I'm not an apostle. No, there are no more apostles. <laughs> I am not one either. But he was. He was uniquely called for that position. God had a hand of blessing as a matter of obedience. Uh, so uh, then, you you know, you see about uh, later in the passage, he talks to the church at Rome. He says, you're called to be saints. And that's true. Every believer has that call as well. There is a calling to uh, be ye holy as I am holy. Yeah. And so there's a number of ways to look at calling. And when we deal with a specific call, we're not talking about a call of repentance or a call of purity like be ye holy. We're talking about a specific call. Let's call it again for vocational labor. Yeah. Uh, this is something that is divinely given. Uh, we shouldn't look at missions as being um, a feeling. Right. Um, well, you come off the mission field pretty quick if it was all about your feelings. Yes, because your your feelings change. Yeah. Just, just ask the chocolate Christian there. Right. Um, it, it, or, or your desire. Yes. Um, I know sometimes we look at a good missionary presentation and you say, wow, that's the field. Uh, and maybe maybe it is. Uh, I wouldn't judge this quickly. But, but the fact remains, just having desire to, to see the law saved will not sustain you through the difficulties that will inevitably come. Um, it's not even visualizing the need. Well, yeah. there's, you know, not enough labors. It's interesting, right? Over in John chapter 4, he said, uh, look into the fields, lift your eyes, look into the fields of white already, the harvest. And the next phrase is, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Would send labors. Would send. There's a specific call that is given. You know, you look at it and say, well, there's a need. I'm going to go wherever there's a need in this regard. Well, be very careful, because if it's not a divine call, you're going to get out there. You're going to face, it doesn't matter the field, you're going to face great difficulty, and that visualization of a need yeah. is not going to provide the sustaining aptitude that you need. And so what keeps you there is the obedience to the call. A specific call, it's obedience. Yeah. The love, the desire, the need will always wane. Um, it'll be obedience that keeps us in our place of service. It, that is a specific call, greatly matters. It's Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas and many others were laboring there in the church of Antioch. And he said, separate them for the work that I have called, called them, them to do. It's interesting. Were they the only people in that ministry? No, because someone, they're separating them from somebody. Yeah, yeah, and then the, someone was laying hands on them and praying for them. Yes. Yeah, so there's a whole group, but it was these specific ones. And I'm I the and I'm referencing the, the work of the Holy Spirit here, uh, going to separate them. I've called them. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to move them on in this place. I, I, I think just by experience, sometimes folks get get to think that um, you know, especially young men, this matter of a call to preach, uh, and and it's like a badge that they wear. And, and man, I really I hope and pray that God calls many many more men 
into the ministry, be it in the pastorate or missionary activity type stuff. But God often calls men for specific labor. Just like Paul was called to be an apostle, and just like in First Timothy chapter 3, Timothy desired the office of a bishop. Right. Uh, sometimes I think if it's a nebulous feeling that we have, then it will be a nebulous obedience that we'll have as well. Yeah. So we don't need to wander in our in our obedience. That's no, no, it's, it's it's a matter of having a specific thing in mind. And if God has not called you to a specific place at a specific time, we'll serve where God has until he reveals it. Uh, that's an important aspect to keep in mind. But a missionary, if they're going to endure, they're going to need a specific call. Yeah. Uh, one little final thought, I guess, about that is... You know, there's nothing wrong with laboring where God's put you already. Nothing wrong with that. Is there any little work that God values in such a way that it is not important to him? No. no. I think in the book of Revelation, you've got the seven churches there, you know, and they're not the same. There's a lot of distinction or at least some distinction between them. Uh, One of them he refers to as a little group where others are probably a larger group. But what's interesting in the opening uh, chapter there when he identifies him, they are his candlesticks. Right. There is no distinction between them. You, you're not you're not more important to God because you're larger and less important to God because you're smaller. And the other way is true as well. Right. The fact is you're doing God's work where you are, and therefore you must see it as important to God and follow suit. And another thing, while we're still on the topic of a specific call, it is we should look at the authority, kind of where does someone get the... I guess you look at the example that we just pointed out, Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, there was this call for them to go forth. And then who who kind of authorized that call? Who gave, I guess, what would you say? It's not evidence exactly, but... Who is the one that confirmed that they were called? It was the That's local the church. word. That's the word. There's, there's a number of folks today that uh, haven't referenced all this. Well, God's called me to do something. And and then they just they kind of are busy, but it, it, failing to be uh, as efficacious as they could. In the New Testament, God places the call on the body or on the individual, I would call it. And then it's that that body of believers that they're part of, right, that confirms that calling. Um, That was the word I was looking for, confirms. That that was one of the early things I learned in ministry. Uh, It's not so much what you think you know. It's not so much what you think that you're called to do. What does the body of believers that you faithfully attend services with, what do they say about you? And, you know, when you get to the life of Timothy, when he's first mentioned there as Paul is passing on that first missionary journey, he was a young man and he had a good reputation of all of those that were in his assembly. Right. You know, that that's the kind of guy that God is looking for to do something with. Uh, he is waiting. He is ministering. God's going to open a door. I speak for Timothy. Right. But he's not floundering around, shooting his mouth off and being lackadaisical and unmotivated. Right. An unmotivated, lackadaisical individual. That is a habit that is instilled. It's going to bring about a legacy in their life. And they're not going to be able to withstand the difficulties that will arise because of ministry. Yeah. Hone that edge until God has deployed you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Specific call is needed. 
But I don't think that's the only characteristic. We could spend a lot of time, you know, if you were to break, you could actually do a whole series on this. But I think another important characteristic is that there should be a spiritual gift. Of course, every believer has a gift that God has given them. Uh, Romans chapter 12, a number of spiritual gifts are given. And um, I would not pretend for a moment to say, oh, they got to have uh, this one right here. This, you know, I, I do think that exhortation is certainly an important part, the, uh, the gift of teaching. Uh, for later, we'll, we'll talk briefly about that. But one of the main thrust of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, and I think of Peter as well as Romans chapter 12, is there's a level of application. Right. How are what, you? What they have yeah. exactly, what are you doing? Yeah. How are you serving right now? Yeah. Um, I'm always, we just finished up a missions conference and every one of our missionaries did this. And it wasn't like something I mentioned to them or anything. But each of them, they'll talk about, this is the ministry I was doing in our church. I was working with a youth group. I was, we had one missionary, and it just makes me laugh. They had the sign ministry. They would change the words. Right, right. Oh, this one maybe was involved in a bus ministry, and this one was involved in this. What are they doing? They're they're using the gift that God's given. Absolutely, they are. You know, in humility, but also with grand dedication and faithfulness, fulfilling that specific area that God has given them. I think a lot of things could be said about your spiritual gift. There's a n- number of things personal to the individual that can amplify or detract from that spiritual gift. Yeah. And the more you exercise a spiritual gift, just like a muscle, the better off it's going to be. Yeah. I, I would say experience. As someone um, grows in their study habits, right. study to show thyself approved unto God, Paul conveying that to Timothy, um, the more I study the things of God, the more I Labor, he says in chapter four, he said that profiting will appear to many. You'll be able to save yourself and those that hear thee. Uh, so certainly experience has a role in honing that edge uh, to make it the most valuable it can be for the calling of, uh, of God, the specific calling. Yeah. And preparation. Yeah. Planning. So that's a huge one. I, I You know, in our missions, um, dealing, dealing with our missionary, I don't know, decency and order, we, we talked about missions having a little bit of, of tactical preparation and planning. Well, it goes back to not just being nebulous, but being specific. Yes. And I remember in our interview with there with Brother DeLong, he, he kept talking about how, to him, it's important that a missionary have a specific direction they're going. Yes. A specific field, point A to point B kind of stuff. Absolutely. I think planning is keenly part of it. Uh, all the way back in the time of Joseph, uh, God revealed unto him there'd be these years of fat and there'd be years of lean. And he could have just walked away from it and says, well, God will provide. And I do believe supernaturally God would have provided for those people. Specifically, I'm speaking of uh, of uh, Joseph and his family and uh, right. Jacob and, and the brothers and all that. God would have done so. He had made a covenant with Abraham. But I don't know that the same would be said that they would have saved many people alive. Right. Yeah. And you know what came in there? Planning. Planning, yeah. Planning made a succinct difference in how uh, the Lord worked in that regard. He used that part of them. What about personality? You think personality does plays a part? Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different personalities. But if you take, for instance, the introvert, maybe versus the extrovert, the outgoing versus the more quiet introvert i could see either way that that would might that could be a hindrance right either way 
Yeah. Uh, I would say in some areas of the mission field, somebody's really an extrovert. That could really be a significant turnoff to people in certain regions of the world you're going to mission, right. going to serve sure. by way of missions. And equally, if one's a great introvert, I think a personality there could play a role that you just, you know, very uncomfortable talking to people. It'd be very difficult to witness to them. Right. I think the big thing there is surrendering to the Lord. He must increase. I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist yeah. had as his motto yeah. there. Per, I don't I don't think that there's a personality that is better or worse in one sense. The, yeah. You know, you the personality part is kind of how God wired you. Yeah. Uh, and that in of itself is all in his sovereign plan. But there are things about me and personalities can be part of that that I need to be keenly aware of that I bring that under the leadership of uh, lordship of God in my life. But certainly it can have a role with regards to your your spiritual gift and service. Yes, it can be some apparent, apparent uh, dangers and perils there. A spiritual gift, though, is of a great importance. And I certainly think that one specific gift that would be worth mentioning again is that gift of teaching, of exhortation. That's going to be a key part of, of the calling. Yeah, and you know, we spoke about one of the characteristics of a biblical missionary is a spiritual gift, but more specifically, it's exercising, putting to use in practice. Yes. Because if they're a Christian, if they trusted Christ, they have a spiritual gift. That doesn't mean that everyone that has a spiritual gift is putting it to use as much as they ought to. Well, one of the spiritual gifts, the idea of teaching that we would mention, um, in fact, in First Timothy chapter 3, he's going to say that the man of God be apt to teach. Yeah. How do you so, know? <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he not only has the ability and he has the knowledge, but yeah. he has the desire. Right. It's all apt to be done. It's the spiritual gift, and then it's followed through with as well. So there are two characteristics that we've dealt with thus far, the specific call and a spiritual gift. But, you know, as the old infomercial used to say, there's, there's more. more. But wait. Uh, I think another spiritual gift would be just godly character, saintly character. Um, I referenced just a moment, apt to teach. That's out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, in speaking, the scripture says, if a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so in keeping with that pastor, that teacher, that preacher, and by inference, the missionary as well, there's going to have to be a number of of personal areas of character that each individual missionary are going to have to excel in. Yeah. Now, I would note in the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll, you'll be hard-pressed to find that the man's a great pulpiteer, you yeah. know, that he is refined in his pulpiteering abilities. Right. But there are a number of personal things, and there is something about the inward man of the heart and how it reveals. It's an easy thing to get up in a pulpit and hide who you really are. But long-term, true character always shines through the cracks and crevices of the outward facade. Mm. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there are about 15, 16 different characteristics. I think some of them are are well noted. Uh, it talks about that he should be blameless. Right. And uh, I always liken that to no handle. Nothing to hold on to. Nothing to hold on to. Uh, he's to be the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man. You know, morality is a chief pursuit. Um, he's He has got the um, uh, submission to the Holy Spirit in his life in regards to morality 
and faithfulness, fidelity to his wife. Um, he goes on and he talks about being vigilant. That's the idea of intentionally circumspect, uh, sober. Um, I like the idea there, kind of to go with it. He's safe-minded. Right. He's he, not just letting his mind wander. No, no, no. There's a lot of danger. Oh, yeah. Uh, specifically, I might would add to young men. In Titus chapter 2, they were exhorted to be sober-minded. Yeah. Uh, have a focused thought, an intentional thought. Philippians chapter 4 would also bring to that. You know, he talks about... Uh, good behavior. Um, they're arranged in a proper God way, given hospitality. We were talking about that some time ago. Yeah. Friendly to strangers. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to be someone to preach the gospel if strangers were offsetting to you? Yeah. Now, I, I do not, I don't think I would describe myself as a people person in the sense of just uh, love to be around crowds or anything like that. But there is much to be said about the need to be able to interact. Right. And to have a friendliness and hospitality to people. And in many cases, some of those people are people that that might be the only time I met them. And beyond that, it it might be the beginning of a long ministry that I would have in their life. Right. And they still need, need to be treated with friendliness and speak to them. Yes. How are you ever going to have any influence on their yeah. life? How are you going to know their spiritual condition? How are you going to be able to witness to them? You have to be able to communicate with them. In Hebrews chapter 13, be careful to entertain strangers. Uh, all of this is part of that. Given hospitality, he, go, he goes on, he, he talks about uh, being apt to teach. We've made mention of this one. Um, uh, not given to much wine. He is uh, not only sober of mind, but sober from spirits as well. Um, he goes on and, and mentions no striker. That was a fantastic one. You know, he's not going to deck you. He's not going to, he might build you a deck, but he's not going to deck you. <laughs> he's not going to punch you. Um, his, his, the fallout of his wrath yeah. is not a physical thing to be worried about. There's a sister one in here as well, uh, very closely akin to that. He calls it not a brawler. And in reference to not a brawler, he's, he's a peacemaker. You know, he's, yeah. he's one that is not going to engender your desire to punch him. Right. Because of his behavior. Yeah. Uh, there's just, so, there's so many things in there. He's patient. That's the idea of long-suffering. Uh, he's not covetous. He's not a lover, filthy lucre. One of them, of course, in regards, there's his home life as well. Um, but later, I think it's uh, uh, down in verse number six, he talks about not a novice, a neophyte. Yeah. This, he's not, not only not newly saved, he's not newly grounded in the truths of the word of God. Um, he's He's got a hold of some sound doctrine, and I would reference again there, Second Timothy chapter 2, study. Give great diligence to the word of God. Yeah. Give thyself, First Timothy chapter four, holy unto them that thy profiting might appear to all. So you know he's got he's got a saintly character that's going to combine with a spiritual gift, and you're going to see developed in a speci- in a specific call in his life as well. Yeah, in verse six and verse seven, it makes a, a similar phrase both times. It says the reason these basically saying the reason these qualifications need to be there is lest he fall into condemnation of the devil. You know, you keep in mind, we we just kind of opened this up at the onset about the, the uh, chocolate Christian, impossible, difficult, done, the three stages of God's work. If you have inexperience, um, lack of, of growth with God, and you're in the furnace cooker, the pressure cooker of difficulty, it's going to really expose areas in your life in which the wicked one will lay siege on. Yeah. 
And that's what's being pointed here, too. Well, it's giving way to the devil. Yes. Yeah. Giving place to the devil. Absolutely. So, saintly character. Hmm. How about steadfast devotion? Well, you wouldn't want him to be a chocolate Christian, right? No. Not at uh, all. Always, First Corinthians chapter 15, always abounding in the work of God. God moves men. Uh, the men, however, must not be flighty. They're going to have to be steadfast. Uh, James talks about the admonition against the double-minded man that's unstable. unstable. Yeah, he's like water in all of his doing. I, I always liken that to 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 the shore. You know, you've got got the the the, uh, the waves coming in, and there's the beach, and it swirls. There's no foundation. It goes this way and that. Um, I think it was William Carey. They were going to write a biography of him at the end of his life. Uh, all of his gifts and traits, et cetera, that have led to this great success. And Carey reminded them, he said, there's only one thing you can truly attribute to me, William Carey, and that is that I plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. Hmm. And, I, you know, there's a lot of things as it pertains to the Christian life and as it pertains, as we're speaking of today, missions that are beyond the scope of, of our abilities. But abounding is a personal choice. Yeah. Uh, that idea of being steadfastly devoted and focused to a task, we can stay at it. We can be like Nehemiah, I'm too busy to come off the wall. Uh, we can be like the men of old that dug wells, as are mentioned in the scripture, like Isaac. We can keep right. at it. And that continuous uh, and, and, you know, that, that phrase, always abounding, it has that idea of superfluous. He, he's just given himself wholly to it. Uh, it is a preeminent place in his life, and he is steadfast and definitive in his devotion for it. Yeah. Well, what did Grenwell say, or Grenfell, yeah. sorry. He said, uh, it is either advance or retreat, but if it is retreat, you must not count on me. I will be no party to it. Yeah. Uh, you'll do it without me, yeah. goes one. That's that's a powerful thing. And and that I, I believe that quote, we referenced that a couple of weeks ago, but in that particular quote, they were talking about the difficulties. Africa was a white man's graveyard and the Congo was the shortcut to heaven. And we're bringing these guys in and 18 months, you were a seasoned missionary if you could make it. Right. And and there's just so much turmoil and difficulty. And they said, hey, let's, let's stop. Let's pull them out. Let's pull them out. And he goes, well, you do what you're going to do, but... No, I'm going to have a steadfast devotion to that. And that is an important part of a characteristic biblical missionary. Uh, it's what Paul said. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I endured. That was his singular response. Endurance. Yeah. Uh, just abiding under the difficulty, knowing that God will sustain you. I think of another one is the missionary needs to be a servant of the gospel. And yeah. have utterance of the gospel. I think of what Paul said, pray for me that I have utterance. Yeah. That's necessary. And that's necessary whether you're a missionary or not. But well, specifically, we're speaking of characteristics. We're kind of separating a little bit of missionary from a pastor. Yeah. But in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, which obviously was New Testament missionary. I mean, he's an apostle too. But we reference the missionary journeys and the church planting. And, and certainly, as we said at the onset... There's a lot to be gleaned from this, but he admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, do the work of the evangelist. Yeah. And that evangelist is the gospel preacher, not just the ministry of exhortation. Right. 
He's talking about have a systematic, to use our word here, plan to preach the gospel to others. Yeah. You know, as a pastor, you can get called up with administrative duties. Mm -hmm. You can get called up with counseling responsibilities and preaching responsibilities and planning responsibilities. Don't forget your personal obligation that God has placed on you to be a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we mentioned the chocolate soldier earlier. Here's another quote from C.T. Studd. It says, some wish, or he said, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And so his desire was to be that gospel witness, that person who had utterance for the gospel. And like you said, you can get, if we're not careful, you can get caught up in all the other things and neglect the duty of the gospel. And the other things are easier most times. In many sense, in many ways, yes. Or more comfortable. You know. Well, and even sometimes maybe they have a greater uh, appearance of success. Sure. You know, you can measure them. When you're doing the gospel work, sometimes uh, it, it, it's, it falls upon deaf ears. Yeah. And yet... And so you put in hours of labor and you don't control the outcome. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but none the, nevertheless, we are to be servants of the gospel. You know, when you when someone when a when a man goes through an ordination process, oftentimes their certificate talks about an ordination to the gospel ministry. Right. That is the essential part of preaching. It is to give the good news of Jesus Christ, yeah. the gospel. That's the important thing. And how beautiful are the are feet, the feet of, of them that preach the gospel? Romans chapter number ten. You can have beautiful feet. That's right. <laughs> It's not a characteristic. It's a byproduct. Yes. No, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, keeping with this, the sixth thing would be strengthened by prayer. How, how do you accomplish all this? Uh, and I think prayer from beginning to end um, envelops the heart of the missionary. Uh, Paul, often Ephesians chapter 6, the verse you cited a moment ago, pray for me that I might have utterance. Yeah. It's, I think how many times Paul says, pray for me on my journeys. Pray for me that I come and see, I think of uh, Philemon, in the book of Philemon, he says, pray and through prayer, I expect to be with you. And he's going about his life with prayer, seeking others to pray for him and praying for others as well. And, you know, he talks about uh, to the Philippian church, to the Colossian church, you're, you're in every prayer of mine. Yeah. Uh, I'm praying for you always. And then he beckons them, pray without ceasing. Yeah, pray for me. Yes, and so he, he envelops everything in prayer. prayer. Uh, and that's so true. Um, as we hone the spiritual gifts that God's given us and serve, prayer is an essential part of that. Yeah. As our character, and, and we, we te- seek to have our character um, steadfastly holy, prayer is a part of that. As we seek steadfast dedication, Prayer is an important part of that. As we go forward with the gospel. Prayer is yeah. an important part. As we look to what God might specifically call us in, prayer is an important part of each aspect. Brethren, pray, without pray for ceasing. us. Pray without ceasing. Yes. Uh, those are important parts. We'd be remiss if we wouldn't say a, a prime New Testament characteristic of a missionary is that they are strengthened by prayer. And lastly, we have a servant's heart. Yeah, that's a you final bard. I don't think you can do much without a servant's heart. No, a singleness of heart. Just a singular focus uh, on our perspective. Is it Romans? The scripture says, 
Paul writing, he says that we think not too highly of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we are just, Paul, though he's called to be an apostle, refers to himself in Ephesians chapter 6, just an ambassador in bonds. Yeah. Just an ambassador. It's, it's just a humbleness in service. And the final resort is that he directs all praise to the Lamb of God. Uh, to cite your verse again. Yeah. He, he must, must increase, increase. I must decrease. Yes. And that was that was what John the Baptist showed for us. I mean, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And that was how he lived his life, pointing others to the Savior. Yeah. And just looking at the end, Paul references often the glory of God. That's really what we're doing. First Corinthians, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all, do all to, to the, the glory. glory of God. At the end of the day, and throughout the day, our chorus should be glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I, I think we could add other things to this, um, but I would close my portion with a quote from Robert Moffat, famed missionary to Africa. He said, all that I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies, all of them should be devoted to none other employment but to preach Christ to the degraded and despised, and yet beloved mortals, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that brings us for our word for the day. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And with that, we want to thank you for listening and look forward to joining you next time.